0: This is the tennis podcast, and I am Nick Amell. I'm Brandon. We hope that you Americans out there are still alive after blowing a firework up into your house and face. Brandon, how was your Fourth of July? That was in the past.
1: Since we're recording, has happened yet? No, no. no, The Fourth of July has happened yet. Or yes, I mean, yes. The future past. It was great. There were no loud fireworks in our house, and all the small children and animals were peaceful. I don't think any. Of that's I hear fireworks every night already.
0: Anyway, this is the show where either myself or the sidekick host Brandon bring a top 10-ish list on anything, and the other tries to guess without a heads up of what that list is. This time, that list
1: is brought to us by Mr. Brandon. So, what are we talking about today? Tonight, I bring you the most popular comic strips. Okay. We've talked about comic book characters. These yeah. are comic strips that appear in the daily newspaper or in sometimes in the weekly in the Sunday funnies.
0: Okay, so this this will not include any like comic book
1: No. characters. No. These are right, these are okay. strips. These are the single panel or 3 to 4 panel comic strips. Okay.
0: I got to say, this is, this is a list idea I have yet to think of,
1: <laughs> so. They don't have good data on circulation, which is what I wanted to base this on. The best list I was able to find comes from Ranker.com. So, it's a reflection of uh-huh. all the... I've used Ranker. Yeah, that. it's yeah. all the people who have uh, voted on it. So, this is uh, hopefully a representative sample of how the English-speaking world feels about comic strips.
0: For those that aren't familiar with Ranker, it's basically a site where it lists a bunch of comics and you can add your own as well and then everyone votes on it and it ranks it for you. That's why it's called Ranker. Do you know how many people voted on this particular Ranker?
1: Well, the number one on here has about, has 4,729 votes. Okay. Okay.
0: So, there's probably a few ten, tens of thousands of people that have voted on this and they're voting on the comic strip
1: they like most. Right. Yes. Right? Okay. Now, let me oh, ask wait, you... Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Here it is. 80,000. Yeah. 80,000 80, votes okay. and 7.6 thousand voters.
0: That's a good sample size. Side question. I thought, I thought of this while you were stumbling with your own notes. You know, like the Tulsa world, you know... <sighs> Newspapers, God, there's whole generations coming up now that will just not understand a newspaper. But when I was a kid, I would read the the Sunday funnies, Uh believe it or not.
1: My question is like a Tulsa World or a regional local newspaper, which... For people who don't know, Tulsa World is not the world's most boring amusement park. It's... (laughs) Sorry. It's the name of our local major newspaper.
0: Yeah, it's the top newspaper. My question is: They had a Sunday funny section, mm-hmm. but do the, who chooses those? Because it's not like Tulsa created those comics, you know. So is there like a curator that chooses their favorite comics from somewhere and puts them in
1: each Sunday? No, we'll learn that. Brandon there are, used to work for the Tulsa World, by the way, so that's why I'm asking him. They're syndicated, so the company that prints, you know, the Sunday funny that Tulsa World picks up. Tulsa World says they're going to work with a certain syndicator who's going to supply their Sunday funnies. That syndicator puts all the ones that they have into it and they usually have okay. all the big ones.
0: And then they just hand it over to Tulsa World or whatever and Tulsa World just puts it in basically
1: as is. Yeah, but they sell ads around it. They sell like local sure, ads, sure, sure. you know. I think ours always had like lumber ads and shit by it.
0: Yeah, because when you're reading Dilbert, you want to know about lumber. I get it.
1: Yeah, that's okay, the idea. So that's, what we're, that's what we're guessing here. We have a top 10? Uh, I have notes on the top 10 but I actually have the top 32. Wow. 32 is where I stopped because 32 was the last one that I knew anything about.
0: Well, yeah, I, I do have a decent memory of several Sunday funnies that I could guess.
1: I could guess. command of comic strips?
0: Well, I'm sure there's some old ones that I always skipped over when I was reading because yeah. I always had my go-to's in there the Sundays.
1: Are, there are not very many on here that I don't recognize. Okay. That's in the top 32. I recognize all of the ones in the top 10. Some of them I was just much less aware of than others. Wasn't, I think there was like some Batman in the Sundays, Sunday funnies, wasn't there? Yeah, but those aren't, you know, like Prince Valiant and there's the one that was the name of a woman and they're just like dramas. Boring. Yeah, they were boring. None of those are in here. These are all funny or supposed to be funny.
0: While we've been going here, I looked up and I saw that uh, if you are interested in comic books, we did do the most popular comic book characters based on the number of issues each comic character has appeared in. Right. That's your Batmans, stuff like that. We did that back on episode 38, so you should check that out. Okay, so do you want me to start guessing? Yes. Uh, okay, I said it earlier, Dilbert.
1: Dilbert is number 11. He didn't make the top 10. That's
0: That's surprising. Dilbert's like a a cultural phenomenon. Everyone knows about Dilbert. Yeah.
1: Do you know that the creator of Dilbert has said some like kind of controversial right wing things recently? No. What would he say? I can't remember. I think he's like a. I think he might be a hardcore libertarian. But he did he say like Mr.
0: Phil that more people die in swimming pool deaths than coronavirus? He may have. He says those kinds of things.
1: Okay. It doesn't make Dilbert less funny, but no,
0: Dilbert's a quality
1: comic. Does make you kind of pause. I wonder what the deeper layer to Dilbert is. Dilbert was like the office of the Sunday funnies, right? Mm -hmm. That was kind of what it was striving for. Okay, how about uh, Baby Blues? Oh, interesting. I did not know that one by name. Uh, It's number 14. Okay, so I'm nailing the 11 to 20 range here. Mm -hmm. Well, I was not
0: wanting to do this right away because I think it might be pretty high, but I'll do it. Family Circus?
1: Family Circus is not in the top 10. It's number 16. Interesting. I was sure that would be like in the top 5 Mm-mm. You, <sighs> okay, you okay. underestimated everyone's love for the little, for, they did them mostly on Sundays, uh, the little blonde kid, they would uh, do, <laughs> yes. um, what do they call it, uh, a dotted line around the neighborhood, his path to like over the doghouse, crawling through somebody's car, going in the sewer. Crawling through someone's hot, fresh garbage. Crawling beside a bed where the neighbors are having sex. (laughs) What was that little kid's name, Petey? Crawling beside a grave uh, where someone's
0: being buried alive. (laughs) Yeah. Calling out for help and he just keeps going.
1: What's that little guy's name,
0: Archie? This sounds maybe something like that. Remember Bobby's World? It was not a strip, but a a TV show. Yeah. That kid had a trike too or a, a big wheel.
1: Yeah. So, that's something. Yeah, it sure is. Calvin and Hobbes? Okay, Calvin and Hobbes is number one on the list. Knew it. That's okay because there's plenty to talk about. With old Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin and Hobbes was a daily American comic strip by Bill Watterson. It was syndicated in November 1985 till December 1995. It follows the antics of Calvin, a precocious, mischievous and adventurous uh, that's a mouthful for a child. A uh, six-year-old boy. It's like you if you took out the
0: Adventurous and you just stuck with mischievous and what was the other one? Precocious. That's you.
1: That's me. And Hobbs, his sardonic stuffed tiger. The fuck Hobbs, is sardonic? It's like um, not quite sarcastic but kind of like a, a, like a dry, dark sense of humor. So, that's me. So, Hobbs. You're Calvin and I'm Hobbs was both a living anthromorphic tiger. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But all the other characters saw Hobbes as an inanimate stuffed toy. Yeah, Calvin Hobbes was uh, at the top of the list. Did you know there have been 45 million copies of Calvin and Hobbes books sold? Oh, yeah. Are the books just like collections of the Sunday strips? They are and through the books you see that a lot of those strips uh, the daily strips were part of much larger stories. I actually have, uh, my mom saved about four or five of the Calvin and Hobbes books from when I was younger and yeah, they're still, they're great. Something about all of these comic strips that I found mm-hmm. interesting were how many collections of books they had and I have more information on those as we go, as we talk about some tonight.
0: Um, you might get to this at some point but I, I am interested to know or talk about how comic book uh sorry sunday comic strip writers what how are
1: they doing these days is that still is this still a thing i i wondered about that as i was doing this um i think if you are widely if you're like nationally syndicated you're probably fine like there's one that is it's number 26 it's still running i think called non sequitur these syndication companies have got to be hurting right now oh i'm sure they are yeah uh, no, I don't so actually anyway. have any, any information on that. So, Bill Watterson yep. was the uh, creator of Calvin and Hobbes. He took two sabbaticals from the daily requirements of producing the comic strip. His first sabbatical took place from May 91 to February 92 and then he took another from April to December 1994. Those sabbaticals were included in a contract that Watterson managed to negotiate with Universal Features, that was his syndication company, in 1990. Those sabbaticals were proposed by the syndicate themselves, uh, who, fearing Watterson's burnout, endeavored to give, to get another five years worth of work from him, um, so that's like they gave him these sabbaticals. He's the third cartoonist who had sufficient popularity and stature to receive a sabbatical from their syndicate. The first one was Gary Trudeau, who wrote Doonesbury. And the second was Gary Larson, who wrote The Farsight. And following his second sabbatical, his second, like, long vacation, Watterson made the decision to retire from the comic strip.
0: completely. What year was that, that he retired?
1: December 95. So it's just been rerun since then. If it appears in a newspaper, yes, it is a rerun. He has not written a new one since 95.
0: Man, I, you know, it's interesting you're talking too. Something else that kind of stood out to me is unlike a movie or a TV show, and I think comic books, you can correct me on that. It sounds like it's just one guy writing
1: yes. cartoons. You know,
0: it's, there's not a company
1: or a team behind him. Very few of these have a separate writer and artist, which is something I think is really cool that the entire thing mm-hmm. is all their art. There's some comic book writers like that, like The Dark Knight Returns was written and drawn by, what's his name, uh, Frank Miller. And then, that, you know, comic books usually have a different writer and a different, or, you know, a writer and a different artist. But no, usually yeah. with comic strips, it's just one fellow or lady. Yeah, it's not like us. We have a whole, people might not realize this, we have a whole team behind
0: us that does our research <laughs> and our social media and writes the scripts. Uh, That we read off of and pretend is just organic banter. Carefully crafted. Yes. Okay, so tell me more about uh, Calvin and Hobbes.
1: Calvin and Hobbes is also notable for its complete lack of official product merchandising. Watterson was opposed to merchandising and he struggled to maintain control over this. There is almost no legitimate Calvin and Hobbes merchandise in existence. Exceptions are he made two calendars a t-shirt for the Smithsonian exhibit on comic strips, and a textbook called Teaching with Calvin and and Hobbes, which is the most hard-to-find of the already rare Calvin and Hobbes merchandising products. There are lots of, however, counterfeit Calvin and Hobbes items, such as window decals and t-shirts featuring crude humor, binge drinking, and other themes not present in Watterson's work. Is this the one where the kid is pissing on something? Like with his back turned to you? Yeah. Yeah, okay. My next note is Bill Watterson wryly commented, I clearly miscalculated how popular it would be to show Calvin urinating on a Ford logo. (laughs) Uh, It's estimated that he left $350 million in merchandising on the table. Why is he so against it? It seems like a weird thing to take a stand against. Uh, because it's against it's against the theme of the well, it's against one of the many themes or the spirit of the comic strip. Whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure he's not like hurting for money or anything. But yeah, if he would have just uh, licensed it, he could have had a piece of all those Calvin with his hat on backwards, urinating a perfect rainbow arc of whiz yes. onto an upside down Texas Longhorn logo. <laughs> Yep. Okay, so that was Calvin and Hobbes number one. Was Winnie the Pooh a comic strip? No. I kind of named off my go to's already. I'm actually kind of struggling now. Some of these are like. What? Kick- uh, Dick Tracy? No, Dick Tracy's not on here. Uh, some of these are like, you'll want to kick yourself in the head. They're so obvious.
0: Are any of them like
1: full-time cartoons or have been since then? Cartoon shows? Yes. Uh, there's at least two of them ha- that have taken the total opposite route from Calvin and Hobbes when it comes to merchandising. One of them has had a television special for every holiday under the sun.
0: Oh, it's uh, the Peanuts.
1: You know, Charlie Brown. Peanuts is number three on the list. Peanuts is the third most popular comic strip. Hmm. Peanuts is a syndicated daily and Sunday American comic strip written and illustrated by Charles M. Schultz. It ran Allegedly. from... Allegedly. It ran I from... I have my like,
0: doubts that it's legitimate.
1: October 1950 to February 2000. God damn. And it continues and reruns today. 50 years of doing the same thing. It's among the most popular and influential in the history of comic strips with 17,897 strips published in all, making it arguably the longest story ever told by one human being, which I don't know about that. It's in quotes, so I guess somebody said it. Could have been said by an idiot. Hmm. Together with its merchandise earned Schultz more than $1 billion.
0: Wait, that's in his
1: pocket or that's what the whole... That's what it earned him, more than $1 billion. That is insane. I mean, when I was a kid, you could have the peanuts on your underwear.
0: This guy just started doodling, I'm sure. And then he
1: doodled, his doodles. doodled up a billion dollars.
0: You know, no one's going to say that he was in the top 1 or even maybe 5 or 10% of artists in the world. You know what I mean? It's not like he got successful because his art was the best or probably even his stories, it's just like a whole combination. It's almost a perfect storm. Well, I don't know what I'm trying to say, it's just like...
1: Well, let me... I can tell you a little bit more about what made okay. Peanuts special. It focuses entirely on a social circle of young children where adults exist but are never seen and rarely heard. The main character, Charlie Brown is meek, nervous and lacks self-confidence. He is unable to fly a kite. Win a baseball game or kick a football held by his friend, uh, his friend slat his frenemy Lucy. She always pulls it away at the last instant. You know. Yep. You got to pull it out last minute. Am I right, boys? Peanuts is one of the literate strips with philosophical, psychological, and sociological overtones that flourished in the 1950s. Peanuts' humor is psychologically complex and the characters' interactions formed a tangle of relationships that drove it. And I mentioned before, it's had multiple TV specials. Their Christmas, Peanuts Christmas, what is it called? Charlie Brown Christmas? Yeah. That's my favorite Christmas album. The music for that. Computer animated movie. That I did not see, but my kid said was good. Mm-hmm. But he also he also <laughs> thinks America's Funniest Videos is the funniest show on television. Should we get him on the pod? Get his
0: critical take on it?
1: I'd have to wake him up. Uh, Snoopy, did you know Snoop... Do you know what kind of dog Snoopy is? Beagle. I mean, Doesn't look
0: anything be- like a beagle in my opinion,
1: but... That's what do you is. remember his brother Spike? No. He has a brother named Spike. He has sleepy eyes and a mustache and a... F- like a fedora, and he lives alone in the desert. I think his brother oh, Spike. Okay. Is, I don't remember this. I think his brother Spike is a weedhead. He looks a little smoked up.
0: That's okay. We're fine with that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, so that's hey, peanuts. What was that? What was his bird's name that hung out with Snoopy? Woodstock. Woodstock. That's it. Yeah. Why that name?
1: I don't know. It was cute.
0: Okay. Hey, I thought of one that might be in the top ten: Rocky and Bullwinkle. Wasn't that a comic strip?
1: It was not. And no, it's not.
0: Okay, well, I've been Mandela effect, uh, Mandela affected. Then do you guess. want me to
1: give you numbers thirty-two through eleven? Yeah, please. Maybe we we'll get you in the zone. Number thirty-two, Kathy. Thirty-one, get fuzzy. Thirty, Broomhilda. Twenty-nine, Archie. Broomhilda. Yeah, you remember. Forgot Broomhilda? about Broomhilda. She, yes. was a, she was a fat green witch. God, she's hot. Twenty-eight, pickles. Number twenty-seven, Andy Cap. 26, non sequitur, god, I'm bad at that. Number 25, Doonesbury. You remember that? No. It always seemed like it was for super smart older people. No. Dunesbury. Number 24, Mutts. 23, the Lockhorns. No, number 22, Marmaduke. Ah. Uh, yeah, 21, Pogo. 20, High and Lois. 19, was Dennis. Was 21
0: Pogo, was that based on John Wayne Gacy killing so.
1: children? Okay. Yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> 19... Dennis the Menace, Uh, 18 Pearls Before Swine, 17 Mother Goose and Grimm, 16 Family Circus, 15 Bloom County, 14 Baby Blues, 13 Blondie, 12 The Wizard of Id, 11 Dilbert.
0: I'd say I'd heard of like half of those at best. Yeah. Maybe.
1: Well, they probably weren't picked up by the papers in Tulsa, that's why you didn't remember them. Hey, Tulsa's my world. So, hey listen, another one on the merchandise train. Yeah. I think car window suction cup. Car window suction cup. Mm hmm. little guy clinging to a car window. A little plush orange and black cat. Oh, Garfield. Yeah. Is
0: number two. Garfield.
1: No, Garfield is number nine. No, it's not. People do not have warm feelings about Garfield. Probably because okay, the humor well, blows. Come on. Uh, Jesus. Jesus.
0: What are these hot takes on Garfield?
1: (laughs) Uh, Garfield sucks.
0: Garfield's fine. What's what?
1: You never noticed Garfield. Garfield always uh, bitched about Mondays, but he didn't have a job. Well, uh, that's probably part of the joke because he's a cat. Well, fuck him.
0: That's why it's funny.
1: Now, listen, uh, A a Garfield is an American comic strip created by Jim Davis, who loves money. (laughs) Originally published locally as John in 1976. It made nationwide syndication from 1978 up to now. As of 2013, it was syndicated in roughly 2,580 newspapers and journals, and it held the Guinness World Record for being the world's most widely syndicated comic strip. Goddamn. Number nine. It chronicles the life of the title character Garfield the Cat, John Arbuckle, his human owner, and Odie the Dog. Yes. Yes. Uh, It was... Odie couldn't
0: talk, right? Garfield could talk but Odie couldn't?
1: Odie couldn't talk. He just, his eyes looked in Mm -hmm. slightly opposite directions and he seemed happy but he was kind of stupid. He was like both of my dogs. I wish you were more like Odie and didn't talk. Jim Davis started drawing comics digitally using a graphics tablet in 2011. Hmm. I don't know why I found that interesting. Garfield has had two TV series and 12 yeah. primetime specials.
0: I watched the Garfield cartoon when I was a little tyke.
1: Uh, he's had two theatrical films and three direct-to-video sequels after that. He's wasn't had,
0: the um, sorry, but wasn't one of the theatrical films like I see it in my head where it was like a digital version yeah, they and were, he would slide in with sunglasses on and like a, yeah, a mixing spoon?
1: Yeah, they were CGI. One was Garfield and the other one was Garfield. A tale of two kitties. <laughs> <laughs> My kid is constantly wa- asking to watch them. <laughs> That's why you dislike Garfield, right
0: there. You're biased. No, because you're I sick of your it. kid
1: asking about it. I've thought Garfield humor sucked since I was a kid. I like Garfield, ironically, but unironically he sucks. There's I been, like you saying kitties. There's been some Garfield video games too. He's had games for Atari. Commodore 64, Sega Genesis, Nintendo DS, the Game Boy, and one of the worst games I've ever heard of, a game for PS2 called Garfield Lasagna World Tour. What's wrong with that? I checked out this game. It's an open world sandbox game where you go on a world tour of eating lasagna. (laughs) Yeah. From what I saw, Garfield never leaves his neighborhood. IGN.com, the video game website, gave it a 2.5 out of 10. I kind of want to play it. It looks cute but it does look like it plays really bad. It said it's got so many bugs like it's unplayable.
0: I like the idea of a Garfield open world (laughs) sandbox style game. Like Grand Theft Auto Garfield. Why lasagna by the way? Have you ever seen a cat eat lasagna in real life?
1: No, but... It's really hard for me to argue with lasagna because I really like lasagna. Yeah, I fucking bet you do. Uh, Before the sale of Paws Incorporated in August 2019, all of the profits from the merchandising went to Paws Incorporated, of which Jim Davis is the CEO and founder. So, all the profits from merchandising go to that company. And unlike any other comic strip, Davis decided to personally merchandise his comic strip rather than waiting for someone else to license it out for him. He created Garfield and got Mm -hmm. him syndicated nationwide in 1978 and he was immediately like, we need telephones shaped like Garfield. We need Garfield (laughs) on a poster saying, I hate Mondays and we need another one where he's saying, hang in there.
0: And we need Garfield as memes in the 2000s where (laughs) old lame people share that they hate mondays
1: in a garfield meme or gif i bet if jim davis could make money off of memes he would have done it anyway this has led garfield to be the most profitable comic strip character only rivaled by snoopy and the other peanuts characters garfield's face Mm -hmm. has appeared on nearly every product imaginable i also had Garfield, there's a picture of me um, on Easter Sunday when I was, I look like I'm three or four and I'm wearing like underoos with Garfield on them <laughs> and a pair of sunglasses that have little, little bitty Garfield faces on the corner.
0: So, you did like Garfield?
1: Well, you know, when I was an idiot child.
0: Every product <laughs> okay.
1: imaginable including toothbrushes, cameras, rugs, and a thermos, the fat cat has infiltra- the, This is pulled directly from the internet. The fat cat has infiltrated the homes of millions. Mm-hmm. By my calculations, Garfield has appeared in one, like his collections of his comics. Jake, just guess how many Garfield books there've been. Books. Wild guess, yeah, three hundred. Oh, fuck. You said way too many. 171 books. That's
0: a lot still. It's still a lot. I only guessed high because you built it up. I probably would have said something more like 40.
1: 30 VHS and DVD releases. Figurines, toys, plush dolls, those suction cup feet, window clingers I mentioned before. I don't
0: think I've ever seen that. I've never seen that. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about.
1: Oh, well. I think he, you
0: just see Garfield because like no, you're hyper focused no. on Garfield things out there. Whereas I would not notice window clings. This is of, another
1: instance where the more you talk, the more you're going to make yourself look stupid because everybody knows okay. about the Garfield window cling. I'm looking it up. Everybody does. I promise you most of the people listening right now are like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. You say it's his feet? Yeah, it's on his hands and feet. The, the places where a cat would cling to something. Oh, but his whole body's there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this out in the wild. Uh, Garfield also came out with an album called titled Am I Cool or What? There's a Garfield bikini where his face with an open
0: mouth is where the genie goes.
1: Yuck. Uh, baby Garfield <laughs> is featured on Sam's Club brand diapers. Okay. Which I think we get diapers from Sam's Club and I've never seen Garfield on them. Are these
0: the diapers for your kid or for you?
1: These are, yeah, these are children's diapers. Uh, So, there's an amusement park near Pittsburgh called Kennywood. I don't know why it's called Kennywood. Uh, Garfield is one of their mascots and they have two Garfield themed rides. One (laughs) One is called Garfield's Nightmare. It's a haunted house ride. Uh-huh. And then it's a free fall ride for kids. Oh, the, the other one is called the Pounce Bounce and that's a free fall ride <laughs> that's for kids. <laughs> the Pounce Bounce. I like hearing you say all these cute little names. Yeah. So, I mentioned the phone. Tycho released a novelty Garfield telephone in 1978. Do you remember this? Tel- I know you don't remember the window things. You lived some kind of fucking alternate universe. Do you remember the Garfield telephone? Not really, but I, maybe if I saw it. It was, a, it was definitely like an 80s thing.
0: I'm looking at it now and it's hard for me to imagine it <laughs> being in someone's home.
1: <laughs> it was definitely the you kind know? of thing like a teenager or like a wacky art teacher would have. Yeah. Garfield phone. Let me look this thing up. It's icky. Yeah, the phone was his back. You picked his back up out of his body. So... <laughs> Those Garfield telephones became the center of many news reports because they've continually washed up on a French beach over a 35-year period. These telephones would just wash up on a beach, these shitty old Garfield telephones. And it's because someone was shipping, like a shipping container full of Garfield phones fell in the ocean. And they get picked up by the currents and the Garfield phone comes to shore.
0: For over 35 years?
1: Yeah, there must... I
0: mean... You know in Castaway, where you know a lot of the stuff he survives on is stuff that was in FedEx boxes that washed up on shore with him? Yeah. Imagine if he opened one and it was one of the fucking phones, you know? Like, what, what's he going to do with that
1: Eventually, phone? Eventually, he would probably make it into either a weapon or something to love. Or a noose to hang himself with. Now, have you ever seen Garfield minus Garfield? No. Garfield minus Garfield is a webcomic that takes reprints of past Garfield comics and somebody goes in and removes all of the characters except John Arbuckle. It has been described as a journey deep into the mind of an isolated young everyman as he fights a losing (laughs) battle against loneliness and depression in a quiet American suburb.
0: So, wait, the comics are the exact same as they were originally except John's the only
1: one still in them. They Photoshop out Garfield and his thought bubbles and Odie and anything else. It's just John reacting to nothing and acting utterly insane.
0: That's that's such a good idea. I wonder why that doesn't happen more
1: often. Uh, I think it did get kind of ripped off. But the guy who grabbed the URL Garfield minus Garfield was ultimately (laughs) the winner. Now, have you also seen the creepy Garfield meme? No. It's also known as I'm sorry, John. I've seen this in a few different places. It is a series of Garfield-inspired artwork in which Garfield is depicted as a Lovecraftian horror creature stalking his owner, John, often addressing job with such remarks as, I'm sorry, John, and I require lasagna. <laughs> They're great. He's huge. What's it called? The series? Creepy Garfield meme or I am sorry, John. Just Do Google search for I'm sorry, John, and you'll see. Oh, God. He's the scariest. That's amazing. Scariest version of Garfield there is. He looks like a cross between Cthulhu and Jabba the Hutt and Garfield. Yes. So, that's Garfield. Garfield
0: minus Garfield is the most brilliant thing. I got to look through more of those because the few I was scrolling
1: through are pretty fucking funny. Well... You're going to need some help with the rest of these.
0: I, I am. I, yeah, I guess I'm not as good at this as I thought I might be.
1: There's only one more of these I think you could guess, but we're going to try. So the number two on the list, the second most popular is for the most part, a single panel comic. I it mean, it's just one picture with a subtitle underneath. I'll get, read you the description surrealistic humor often based on uncomfortable social situations improbable events an anthropomorphic view of the world logical fallacies impending bizarre disasters and twisted references to proverbs or the search for the meaning in life some recurring themes in this single panel comic include people being stranded on desert islands aliens heaven hell and the life of cave people Many cartoons focused on animals, especially cows. I don't know. This guy loved to draw like fat ladies with beehive hairdo's who had like pet wiener dogs. I mentioned him I'm earlier. A blank. He was one of the other cartoonists who earned himself a couple sabbaticals. It was Gary Larson who drew the far side.
0: Oh the far side. Yeah, I don't think I ever read the, or looked at those.
1: I also had is Farside a. Is Far Side number two? Far Side is number two. The Far Side was one of my favorites too.
0: I recognize it now that I'm I'm looking it up, and I recognize a lot of these characters.
1: Yeah, the Far Side style is very distinct. Like people wearing glasses, but there are no pupils or eyeballs in the glasses. Mm-hmm. Big kind of pointy noses. Uh, the far side ran from December 1979 to January 1995, when Gary Larson retired as a cartoonist. As I mentioned before, why retire?
0: By the way, I mean, don't you just sit in a chair and fucking draw? <laughs> I mean, I guess if you don't need the money, but
1: well, he also had to do it every day. I mean, that's kind of the, what makes those sabbaticals sound so nice. Is it's no small feat to produce like a quality joke and draw it well every single day. You know, sometimes they do like a daily and a Sunday. They do like a daily and a weekly. I think that sounds like a lot of work, feeling like you always have, to, always have to be on even around holidays and stuff. Nah. Okay, well, Sunday comics were double-sized, and they were done in watercolor or colored pencils with the captions handwritten in Gary Larson's own hand. So see, there's even That's more work. Cool. His comics relied on a combination of a visual and a verbal gag rather than just one or another. And other than the clues that I already gave you, I can also tell you that within the last few years, thefarside.com was relaunched and now features a collection of the Farside comics every day.
0: Is it new stuff too?
1: No. Hmm. So,
0: that's the Farside. That's the Farside. Some of these are kind of funny looking. (laughs) There's one where um, two office guys are working in an office room and their desks are identical but they're facing each other. Everything about them is identical. Uh-huh. And one is pointing at the other and says, one day, Wilson, I'll be sitting at that desk. <laughs> that You know, speaking about a promotion, it's fucking cute. That's all I'm saying.
1: Hey, these are good. No, these are good. Yeah. So, of the remaining ones, let's see. So, there's one that is, uh, the next one on the list, all the characters are cavemen. And it's not the Flintstones. It's set in prehistoric times, features a group of cavemen and anthropomorphic animals. You would recognize it if you saw it, but I also did not remember the name of this one.
0: I'm cheating now. I'm looking at a list of comics.
1: You fucking cheating. I just comics.
0: can't, re- I mean, I don't know. What is it's it? It's two letters. B.C. No, haven't heard of that.
1: You might remember like the art if you saw the drawings of the characters. But anyway, B.C. is a daily American comic strip created by cartoonist Johnny Hart, who sounds like a teenage heartthrob. <laughs> like, Johnny Hart yeah. made up this caveman comic strip and made its debut February 17th, 1958 and was among the longest running strips Still written and drawn by its original creator when Hart, listen to this, died at his drawing board. Oh my. In Nineveh, New York on April 7th, 2007. Of what? Heart attack? He, uh, he got shot. Do
0: you think somewhere. it's possible he laughed himself to death at his own comic <laughs> in
1: progress? <laughs> it's taken me 50 years, but I've written something so f- fucking hilarious that I'd killed myself. Now it's produced (laughs) by his grandson, Mason Mastroianni, and it's syndicated by Creator Syndicate. Hart was inspired to draw cavemen and many other creatures through the chance suggestion of one of his co-workers. He was an engineer at General Electric who took to this idea because it was a combination of simplicity and the origin of ideas. Originally, the strip was set firmly in prehistoric times with the characters clearly living in an era that was untouched by modern times. Uh-huh. Plot lines were about like discovering, figuring out like a use for the wheel. But later, they featured more references to modern life, current events and celebrities and had Flintstones like modern devices. A Washington Post columnist and comics critic Gene Weingarten suggested that BC is not set in the past, but in a dystopic post-apocalyptic future. Did you say that critic's name?
0: Say the critic's name again? Gene Weingarten. What are the odds that a critic has the word wine in his name because he's whining all the time? It
1: does sound like Gene Weingarten can grow up to be anything else other than a Washington Post (laughs) columnist and comics (laughs) critic. Yeah.
0: That's an interesting take though. Has uh, Johnny Hart ever, you know, has the heart throb himself ever uh, commented on that?
1: Yeah, you know, he was asked on April 7th, 2007, what he thought about, and he went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and dropped dead at his drawing board at his home in Nineveh, New York. I cannot believe you just did that. That <laughs> <laughs> was a really good, like, death rattle kind of. Old man, (laughs) shuffling loose his mortal coil. You got it wrong because he was mid laugh when he died. Oh yeah, he's (laughs) he doesn't know what to do with the wheel.
0: (laughs) I'm looking at one now where a caveman is on his knees praying, and he says, "God, if you're up there, give me a sign." (laughs) There's a big neon flashing sign that says, "I'm up here."
1: (laughs) That's good. It's good stuff. What number was BC? BC was number four on the list. So number five on the list. I know you're going to kind of remember when you guess it. I think I mostly remember it from the Sunday comics because it was in color and it jumped out because the main character had a big red beard. He was the main big character, the title character and the main character of this American comic strip created by cartoonist Dick Brown. Dick Brown. <laughs> and syndicated by King Features Syndicate. This comic first appeared in 1973, was an immediate success since Brown's retirement in 1988 and it says, in subsequent death. So, does that mean he <laughs> retired and then died or retired because he died? His son, Chris Brown, not the guy that beat the shit out of Rihanna, just the guy who draws right, comic strips, uh, Chris Brown has continued the strip.
0: I like how Chris Brown, the Rihanna
1: beating Chris Brown.
0: He just has like a free pass again in society now. Like, no one ever even brings that up.
1: Well, he sings good. Well, Let's does he? Get out, literally get out of jail free card uh, So, this comic strip is a caricature commenting on modern day life in the United States through a lo- loose interpretation of Viking Age Scandinavian life. Viking Age. The main character is a Viking with red hair. He wears a helmet with little horns on it. Oh, uh, yeah. Hagar? Hagar the Horrible. He is a shaggy, scruffy, overweight, red-bearded Viking. He regularly raids England and sometimes France. Animation industry writer Terence J. Sachs notes the juxtaposition of contrary qualities that make Hagar endearing to the reader. He says Hagar's horned helmet, rough beard, and shaggy tunic make him look somewhat like a caveman or an opera viking. But you yeah, also know Hagar has a soft underbelly occasionally exposed. Yeah, just like you. I don't know what that means. <laughs> there have been a bunch of Hagar books. There have been 69 books that are a collection of <laughs> Hagar com- Can you believe that? Hagar, Hagar the Horrible, who you could barely remember, has had 69 books, collections of his comics published.
0: And you know what? The guy, Dick Brown, that made Hagar? great name. No, I, I want to tell you about him. He has two problems with his name. I'm looking at his, the spelling of his name on the comic. Dick Brown is spelled D-I-K for Dick. Yep. And then because he's an asshole, his last name, Brown, has an E on the end. Can so, tell both us? words
1: are non-traditional spellings. Yeah, he says it's Brown with an E and somebody's like, wait, what? Instead of <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. yeah, so now he's dead, right? Yeah, he's, t- he's totally dead.
0: Dick up. In the grave, you might say.
1: Yeah. So, you got, well, you've gotten. Wait, what number was that? That was number five. So, we've crossed off numbers one, two, three, four, five, and nine. How about uh, there's one whose name is an alliteration and he's in the army.
0: Oh, army. Oh, I can see it in my head. Uh, Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey.
1: Knew it. Beetle Bailey is number... Eight on the list. Knew it. Did Beetle Bailey ever make you laugh? I don't remember ever reading him. Nah, not really. It's not that good. It's an American comic strip created by cartoonist Mort Walker, published since September 4th, 1950. All of these like that I remember, well, I mean, I remember reading Joseph recently is like within the last year. I cannot believe how long ago they started. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Set on a fictional United States Army post in the years before Walker's death in the year 2018 at age 94. All these
0: idiots keep dying. Is there something about writing comics that kills you? It's very dangerous,
1: yeah. It was among the oldest comic strips still being produced by its original creator. Over the years, Mort Walker had been assisted by, among others, Jerry Dumas... Bob Gustafson, Frank Johnson, and Walker's sons, Neil Bryan and Greg Walker, who are continuing the strip after his death. To me, that seems like the easiest thing in the world. Take the comic strip your dad created, did for 50 plus years, firmly established who the characters are, and you just got to keep this gravy train rolling.
0: And by then, you're probably not even hand drawing anymore. You're just like... You can probably just program
1: a computer to pump out Beetle Bailey.
0: There's a chance that they just hire illustrators and they just like...
1: Do you remember how when he would get into a scuffle, it would be like a cloud with arms and legs Uh sticking out? Sure. Most of the humor in Beetle Bailey revolves around the inept characters stationed at Camp Swampy. (laughs) It's inspired by Camp Crowder where Walker had once been stationed while in the army. Private Bailey... Camp Swampy sounds like... Yeah. uh, Camp Swampy sounds like my underwear in the summer. (laughs) (laughs) It's going, yeah. Private Bailey is oh a lazy sort of a goof-off and he takes naps, he avoids, he avoids work and then he's the subject of verbal and physical chastising from his superior officer, Sergeant Snorkel. It sounds like a, a pet name for someone's dick. Yeah. Beetle is always seen with a hat or a helmet covering his forehead and eyes. He can only be seen without a hat over his eyes once. It's in the original strip when he was still a college student. The strip was pulled and it never ran in any newspaper. Maybe because... I guess his eyes are fucking hypnotizing. (laughs) It has only been printed in various books on the strip's history. One daily strip had Sarge scare Beetle's hat off, but underneath, Beetle was wearing sunglasses. He's been licensed too. Over the years, Beetle Bailey characters have been licensed for dolls, t-shirts, salt and pepper shakers, toys, telephones, music boxes, Wait, bucket.
0: wait, wait. Salt and pepper shakers?
1: Yeah. Why? Why are you telling me that? Why not? Why wouldn't you want them?
0: Well, it's like the third or
1: fourth thing you mentioned out of everything in the world. I don't know. That's how it was listed when I was copying stuff down. All right. Hand All right. puppets, coffee mugs, cookie jars, neckties, lunch boxes, paperback books, games, Bobblehead nodders (laughs) or just bobbleheads, (laughs) banks, lapel pins and greeting cards. The Banks? Yeah. Like piggy banks? Not like the first bank of Beetle Bailey. Yeah, like a piggy bank. Okay, well. 104 books with collections of Beetle Bailey comic strips floating around out there. Can you imagine? See, the merchandising and the licensing, that's where the money is. Who is buying up a Beetle Bailey book? Boomers. Okay, so there's two more in here and I don't think you're... (laughs) I don't think you're going to
0: guess. You know, I told you I'm looking at a list of like comics. Yeah. And some of these are like jumping out and I'm remembering them now. Okay. So, let me name off a few.
1: The Born Loser. No. Excuse me.
0: I'm sorry, am I boring you?
1: You were, yes. He's not on here. Born Loser's not in the top 32. Zitz. Zitz is number six. Fucking knew it. How convenient to have a list right in front of you. Now, Zitz is a comic strip written by cartoonist Jerry Scott and illustrated by Jim Borgman. So, this doesn't Love have, Jim Borgman. Yeah, this has two different- See, that's not fair. Sorry. And Jerry Scott's calling himself a cartoonist, but he's just writing it. It's about the life of Jeremy Duncan, a 16-year-old high school sophomore. It is set in central, central Ohio suburbia. Centering on Jeremy as he tries to balance his family life, social life, the academic standards of high school and his plans for the future, often with a heavy dose of surrealism making it stand out from being just a typical teenager cartoon strip. So unique. Yeah, debuted in July 97 and over 200 newspapers became popular worldwide, received multiple awards. It seems Hang on, fine. 97,
0: that, this is the most recent one we've talked about,
1: right? Yeah, it is. As of 2010, it continues to be syndicated by King Features. It's now included in more than 1700 newspapers worldwide in 45 countries and is translated into 15 different languages. It's actually not that interesting to me. It's fine for a comic strip. Did you have zits when you yeah, were Yeah, I
0: recognize it.
1: No, oh, did do you, you mean ha- like literal? Did you have zits on your yeah. face when you were a 16-year-old high school sophomore?
0: Yes, I had I had a lot of zits problems. Thanks for bringing it up.
1: Were you embarrassed? Of course. Did you get teased? Brandon, what
0: what are you doing here? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, I had zits and I don't remember being
1: teased about it because everyone else I knew fucking had zits. Nah, I didn't. Perfect skin. So, let's talk about number seven. Number seven. I have another guess. Okay. For better or for worse? For better or for worse is number seven. I can't believe it. I mean, are you
0: impressed with my mind reading abilities right now? absolutely not. Now listen,
1: (laughs) for better or for worse, this is the one I think I knew the least about. It's a comic strip by Lynn Johnston that ran originally from 1979 to 2008 and chronicles the lives of the Patterson family and their friends in the town of Millborough, a fictitious suburb of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And now it runs as reruns, still seen in more than 2,000 newspapers throughout Canada, the United States, and 20 other countries. Is the creator Canadian? Yeah. Her name is Lynn Johnston and she is from Ontario.
0: This is also the first female creator we've talked about. Yes. And females just aren't very creative, right, Brandon?
1: (laughs) This is the most interesting background on the comment that I read about. So, a signature element of For Better or For Worse during its original run was that the characters aged in real time. Okay. So, you probably vaguely remember reading For Better or For Worse, right? And it was about a family?
0: I'm looking at a, a picture of it and I do, I do recognize it, yes.
1: I recognize it too. But what I did not realize was that it followed them every day or week, however, or off, however often it was published, at least every week, it followed this family in real time through their lives. This is 1979 to 2008. So, you get a 29-year arc to these characters. Oh. So, here we go. Ellie Patterson uh, is a stressed woman, yet loving wife and a mother of three. Ellie tried night classes, writing columns for a small local paper and periodically filling in as a dental assistant in John's office before landing a job in a library. Nearing menopause, Ellie was surprised to learn that she was pregnant with their daughter, April. After the library job ended, Ellie began working in a bookstore, which she and John eventually bought and expanded to include toys and hobby supplies, such as model railroads. She then sold the store to her friend and began retirement. John Patterson, husband to protagonist Ellie and father, he is a mild-mannered dentist and loyal family man who is a big kid at heart. Over time, he develops interests in cars and model railroads. The funny thing to me was that of all these characters, they all change and grow up and have all these different things happen in them. but the husband and father is just exactly the same the entire time. He's a dentist. <laughs> he eventually develops an interest in cars and model railroads. Michael Patterson... This is like
0: so much unnecessary detail for a Sunday comic by the way. But I've, I found this fascinating.
1: Uh, so It Michael, is
0: but it's just like... Yeah, Michael sorry, Patterson...
1: God. Listen, Michael Patterson began the strip as a rambunctious preschooler. He became a little boy to a sullen teenager, uh, then became a good mature young man, married to his childhood crush and father to daughter Meredith and son Robin. So within the course of this book, you could watch this guy go from a preschooler to being a father of two. Elizabeth Patterson began the strip as a bratty and demanding toddler uh, to a cute little girl, to an awkward preteen, to a confident and bright young woman. When the original strips ended, she was a teacher who had just married her old friend Anthony Kane, became a stepmother to his daughter. <laughs> uh, she gave birth to a son who she and her husband named in honor of their dying grandfather. And it goes on, oh, there's one more character, April Patterson. She nearly drowned in a spring flood when she was four years old. The family sheepdog Farley lost his own life while saving her. That's a hell of a Jesus. thing to read over your coffee on Sunday okay. morning.
0: So this is not a this is not a funny, right? This is no, what, a most more of, a of drama. the time.
1: It, yeah, most of the time it was funny. Probably not the time where the kid almost died and then the dog did die. Well, Maybe they did the make it funny. And when the series ended, she was about to go off to college to study veterinary medicine. So it went through her birth all the way up to her going off to college. Anyway, I know that that's not like the most hilarious comic strip in the world but no I found that super fascinating like the amount of time and care it would take to create like a fully fledged other family and give them like an entire like full life
0: yeah and you have to think think about a sunday comic format do you know how many panels these typically were
1: the daily ones are three to four panels the sunday ones are I want to say like 12 maybe
0: you don't have a lot of space to work with in a newspaper comic to to flesh out these characters to such a degree so I'm guessing some of these characters and their stories were not even touched on sometimes for weeks at a time I'm guessing so like yeah it is it is interesting you don't you don't think about that with a newspaper comic strip but
1: (laughs) just think like her Comic started in 1979, Garfield started in 1978. Think of like the care and work that she put into creating five full lives. It was in that comic strip compared to like, uh, let's see, Garfield gets up, he's uh, lazy, but he's wanting some uh, lasagna. You're right. But listen, when
0: I'm reading the fucking Sunday Funnies, I want something more like Garfield. I feel like this Lee lady should have just written a book or written a comic book. Yeah, that or... maybe that. good point. Like, I mean, because you say that you can watch these people grow up from babyhood to adulthood and all that. And that's true. But that's only if you read every week or every day from the beginning or from a certain point. I don't know. It's just a really weird format to go with.
1: You're right. Garfield hits, Garfield's going to hit the spot no matter where you're coming from. Yes. If you're like, I want something to take my mind off of the terror outside, what's that fat cat up to? He's always going to (laughs) be, he's like, fuck you. You know what you're getting with Garfield. Uh, Hates Mondays. He says, it's all about meow. That was the tagline for the Garfield movie. A Tale of Two Kitties. No, the first one. Okay, so the last one, number 10 on the list. Do you have a guess? Let me guess it. Okay. Is it shoe?: No.
0: Is it... You said Kathy was... Yeah, it
1: Kathy's it? number 32. Marvin? No.
0: Close to Home? No. Rose is Rose?
1: No. I don't know, I've never Baldo? heard Baldo? No. All
0: right, I'm completely out of guesses. I've named every comic that's ever existed. Foxtrot. Oh, come on. No one remembers that.
1: Yeah, I can, like, vaguely recall, like, what the artwork looked like. But, nah, I got no. I mean, even reading the wiki article about Foxtrot, I'm like, what, what the hell? Uh, like, why is this in the top Oh, 10?
0: I do recognize this artwork when I see it.
1: Yeah, how did this get over even fucking Marmaduke or Dilbert? Or Dilbert, yeah. Anyway, it's an American comic strip written and illustrated by Bill Amend. It launched on April 10th, 1988. And it ran seven days a week until December 30th, 2006. Since then, it has strictly appeared on Sundays. Foxtrot revolves around the daily lives of the Fox family. Made up of parents Andrea, who's 42, Roger, who's 45, the children, Peter, age 16, Paige, age 14, and Jason, age 10. covers a wide range of subject matter, including spoofs of pop culture fads, nerd culture, and popular consumer products. And my last note on Foxtrot says, honestly, it's fine, but nothing as special as Garfield. It's no Garfield. That's your take? There's nothing wrong with Foxtrot. It's just, there's just nothing very podcast worthy about it. It's fine.
0: Okay, listen to this. I, I did a Google search on Foxtrot. And by the way, I think most people would recognize the art in this. It instantly rang a bell in my head when I saw it. Some of the comic strips are coming up in the Google search and I clicked on one. Yeah. And it's the, it's one of the kids and he's doing the floss dance, you know, where you put two arms on one side and they go to the other side, you know, the floss, doing the floss. Oh, I
1: see it, yes. He's just doing that. Oh my god, I can see the punchline and I want to punch my computer.
0: Okay, so he's doing the floss for like eight panels Uh and in the last one, he's telling his friend, my dentist suggested I floss after meals.
1: And his friend won't even turn around to look at him. His friend says, you have a very strange dentist. His friend should have turned around and stabbed him. Foxtrot sucks.
0: Do you think he knew his dentist didn't mean the dance and he's just being a smartass? Or do you think he's dumb and he
1: really thought the dentist meant do the dance? I think he thinks we're dumb. I think think Foxtrot is a slap in the face.
0: Oh, come on. You're being a little harsh on Foxtrot. So, yeah, that's Foxtrot.
1: I just fell down a hole of looking at how stupid this comic strip is.
0: Well, you're hurting the feelings of everyone out there that reminisces greatly about Foxtrot.
1: Well, sorry guys. No, that's it. That's all 10.
0: People voted on this. This was the 10th most popular voted comic strip. So, you're in the minority. Why don't you take us right back through the top 10?
1: Here's your trip back down. Comic strip. Memory lane. The top 10 most popular comic strips. Number 10, Foxtrot. Number 9, Garfield, number eight, Beetle Bailey, number seven, the hilarious uh, journey of a uh, entire life of a family for better or for worse, number six, <laughs> Zitz. number five, Hagar the Horrible, number four, B.C., number three, Peanuts, number two, The Far Side, and number one, Calvin and Hobbes.
0: After looking today, because I did Google searches on all these as we've been talking, and after kind of refreshing my brain. I think Mm -hmm. the far side
1: is like the clear best one of these. The far side definitely makes me laugh the most. I'd say the writing and art for Calvin and Hobbes still makes it number one for me. But yeah, the far side definitely gets my goat the best. And it's usually because of how... Jesus, get your goat. (laughs) It's usually because of uh, the faces and stuff. This guy can draw a reaction like nobody's business.
0: It's like people, when they see your face, they just start laughing. Uh-huh. Even though you have perfect skin without ever having zits, man. Yeah. No. How'd uh, you get so perfect, Brandon? Could you give our teenage listeners out there some advice?
1: Uh, too late. If you're a teenager, it's probably too late for you. Zits yeah. galore.
0: But it's not too late to check us out on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod. By the way, while you're on Twitter, you can also follow me at TheNickAmel. That's E-M-E-L. You can follow Brandon at Sidekick Coast. You can check out our website and all of our past episodes at TennisPod.com. You can buy our merch at TennisPod.com slash merch. You can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Um, You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Brandon, I'm trying to sneak in every plug we have ever done.
1: You're going ape shit here.
0: <laughs> what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting to plug?
1: Uh... uh... I mean, you've plugged all of our stuff. I've assumed you were just going to move on to other people's stuff after this. You should watch Seinfeld, you should watch The Office. You should watch Adventure Time, I've been watching Adventure Time lately. You should buy some fruit
0: to nutritionalize your body, Um, you should talk to your kids more, ask them how their day was and you should continue to listen to future episodes including next week when we're back with episode 94. I think that's it.
1: I think everybody's ears are going to be bleeding okay you've given a lot of commands um
0: brandon you've commanded our attention for an hour and a half now yeah so why don't you take us home here give give us our final goodbye 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 everyone